millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just before we started recording, Annabelle said, this is going to be a bit weak. This episode, we've had two weeks off and I thought, well, something might happen. That would give us some ideas for material, but uh, it, it hasn't worked out like that. Just you pre-warned me, so I thought I should pre-warn the listeners. Nothing's happened. I mean, has it, like, was there Christmas? I don't even remember now. Mm, Did we have mm. Christmas? I can't remember. I just did that annoying thing where I said pre-warn. Warn doesn't need a pre on the front of it, does it? Because a warning is inherently pre. Mm, this is true, yeah. Uh, right. Sorry no, about no one, that. No one was bothered by that, I'm sure. Okay, okay. Well, I'm sure somebody was, which is why I, I mentioned it. Um, well, I suppose we should start, as is customary, by saying Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Little late in the day, perhaps. But, little bit, uh, little bit. You know, I've... I've, I've, I've Done it right through till midsummer some years. Um, <laughs> now, something I did want to address is on New Year's Eve, you got in touch with me mm. and you said, do you have any film recommendations? Because like, like most people, um, certainly in, in the UK, you were staying in for New Year's because of the, the restrictions. And I think you had the idea in your head you wanted to watch a film that in some way felt fun um, for, for, for the big evening, just to mark it with a fun film. That, that was your thinking, right? Yes. So we backed and forth a little bit. I suggested uh, When Harry Met Sally, which has a New Year's Eve countdown at, it, at its, you know, as it, as it reaches its... Um, uh, narrative climax, but you'd watched that somewhat recently. Yes. Also, you're not a big rewatcher, are you? I'm. I'm never. I never rewatch things apart from Greece, Greece Two, and Girls Don't Have Fun. So I. Um, <laughs> and I've seen When Harry Met Sally maybe three times, which is a lot for me. A lot. Yeah. And one of those recently. Whereas I love a rewatch, and what we watched on New Year's Eve, which I did suggest to you, was the Will Ferrell Eurovision song, um, Eurovision song contest film. Is it, it's called uh, Eurovision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's it called? What's, is it just called Eurovision? I think so, isn't it? Or is it called Fire Saga or so? Anyway, oh, okay. it's it's it's. Um, it's utterly throwaway, quite funny, and it felt like the right thing. And I was very pleased we watched it on New Year's Eve, and I have spent 
pretty much the uh, the, the the two weeks since then, uh, shouting "Play Yaya Ding Dong." With some regularity, which of course will mean nothing to you because you ended up not watching it. But the, the film I suggested was Knives Out, mm-hmm. which came out, I think, uh, in 2019. And I suggested it because I think it's got a real lightness and sense of humour to it. It's it's funny, the, the acting is funny in it. Um, it's pacey and it's a murder mystery, basically, and I know you love that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's a brilliantly made film, so I thought uh, your, your lover, Tom, who is a film buff, would enjoy it from that point of view. Now, when I checked in with you to say Happy New Year the next day, you you told me that you enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I, I don't entirely believe you. There was something in the way that you told me that you enjoyed it that felt like you you performing a little bit. I think you thought it was fine, um, but you didn't want to disappoint me or, okay. or make me feel like I'd given you a, a weak New Year's Eve suggestion. So this is what I thought. I thought it was yeah. really thought it was a really good film. Mm. I think that so it came down. You gave me a list to choose mm. from, mm. Um, and the two that we that neither of us had seen were no no the, the one that none of us had seen was Knives Out. Oh, no no start again. Neither of us had seen Knives Out and the Eurovision one. Right. I personally thought the Eurovision one would be more of a New Year thing. But, right. and this is where it gets interesting, Tom said, I've seen the trailer, you won't like that film. I oh. said, well, Jeff says, I will like it. So then I wanted to watch it to see who knows me best, <laughs> Jeff or my life partner. I, I don't think it will end up on the list of your favourite films of all time. <laughs> but if you just want something that's fun and silly and it was New Year's Eve, I, I think it's it's good and it's got some really good bits in it. No, but he thought I he thought I would hate it. He said he you won't like you'd that. Hate it. Interesting. And so okay. so I, I do plan to watch it sometime in the future mm. to find out who does know me best. Mm. Um and I'll get back to you on that. But Thank I thought you. that would probably be a bit more New Year-y, but I did yeah. very much enjoy Knives Out. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Honestly, I how could I not like it? Protect my. Oh, well, I think it's such a great film. Yeah. And I, I, I thought I wondered if I'd done that thing where I had oversold it to you because I think it's such a perfect film for you in a way um, in that it's funny and it's a, a murder mystery um, and the characters are also brilliant. I, I wondered if the weight of expectation sucked all the joy out of it for you. No, not at all. No, I really enjoyed it. Definitely. Don't oh, worry. Okay. Okay. Does that okay. put your Good mind at, at ease? It has. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, How so often we... have you thought about it on average? <laughs> Not every day, but most days. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay. we've 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 cleared it up at least yeah. uh, uh, at least um, enough for me to be satisfied. Okay, good. Now, so so we watched the Eurovision Will Ferrell Sing Ya Ya Ding Dong song uh, film, mm. and and then we watched Jules Holland until midnight because I wanted to see some people on the TV counting backwards from ten, and then we switched over and watched the. Covid safe light display in London, which I thought was thought was good. Did you watch any of Jules Holland? No, none of it. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? Why, you, why are you surprised? Because what else? I mean, okay. What time did you stay up till? Well, I must admit, I was awake for the first time in three years. I was awake at midnight, but I was reading my book in bed. So you were just there with that elast- band of elastic with a little torch strapped to it <laughs> that you wear <laughs> no, around no, your head in no. bed. And- <laughs> No, Tom was awake too. We were both reading. We had our lamps on. I think that's to me sounds slightly more depressing than being asleep. 
just both sitting there <laughs> silently. No, no. Immersed don't. in your own books. Don't get me wrong. What, you were reading aloud? No, no. Don't get me wrong. When it got close to midnight, mm. we got my iPhone mm. and we sat there and we looked at it. <laughs> and then when it struck midnight, we said Happy New Year and Tom gave me what I thought was a slightly aggressive kiss. <laughs> And I wow. did say, to, I did confront him and I say, well, that was aggressive. And he went, yeah, I thought it'd be funny. But yeah. Can you just elaborate on an aggressive kiss? It was just very kind of pushed into my face. Like it was a bit like, and then like away again. I was a bit, oh, that was aggressive. Like in a TV show or a film where the sexual tension between two characters has been building in a will they, won't they, they're constantly teasing and at each other's throats and then finally they kiss. But in a very chaste way. Right. There were no very tongues, obviously. Very interesting. Mm. What did what did he say when you confronted him about it? He said, "Oh, I thought it'd be funny. What did do it aggressively?" <laughs> Let me ask you: from your point of view, was it was it more or less funny than when he spat in the bath that time? <laughs> that was, was slightly different. <laughs> when I say slightly, I mean very different. Um, that's interesting to me that you did, you were awake at midnight, but you mm. didn't bother putting on the tv or radio or anything like that we don't I'll, have I'll a tv you... in the bedroom or a radio but we've all got tvs in the bedroom on our phones, oh, on our phones. We? or yeah, laptops well, or ipads it didn't, or, it didn't occur to me to put on anything i don't know Just, I, was, I was really enjoying my book i'd had a brief moment to see it turn midnight jules holland surprisingly didn't have either imelda may or uh, gregory porter in his support bubble okay Which sorry i, I don't I, really go. <laughs> I'm not oh, a big Jules Holland fan. Well, I'm not. I mean, I, I, I think warmly of him in that programme, but I rarely watch it. But I feel like if I ever have turned it on at any point in the past five, six, seven years, I've always seen either Gregory Porter or Imelda May on there. Uh, okay, okay. Occasionally Leanne Le Havis. But um, okay, that, well, that, that, it, these things don't always land, Annabelle. I make the, I think, <laughs> oh, here's a little something I've noticed about life and, and I try it out. Sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't. But it would have landed for a lot of people. Just for some for listeners, me. some yeah. listeners will have heard me say that and think, yeah, those guys oh, are always on Jules Holland. I wouldn't be surprised one. if he has got them in his COVID bubble. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then most people like you will, will think nothing of it. And, and usually we just move on so quickly mm. that it, it wouldn't have time to to really suck the life out of the podcast like it is now but but still um we annabelle and i for for many years used to spend new year's eve together was that rusty yeah he's being very weird tonight is it burglars i don't think so sausages Uh -uh. sausages Uh -uh. okay stop now okay um what we said i was saying that you, you and i would spend new year's eve for many years together in sweden we used to go to stockholm and we used to go to this restaurant called gondolen which is a beautiful place that is it's a bit like it's a bit like being in a gondola or a train carriage in the sky uh it, it's on the south island in stockholm which is made up of all these different islands and it overlooks the entire city and on new year's eve there people go nuts with fireworks so there's a bunch of organized displays but people congregate um beneath in the square beneath this restaurant and just set fireworks off out of their hands which when you think about swedish people and and how pragmatic and sensible they can be. I know maybe uh, through COVID that's not everybody's view of Sweden, but that, that's the stereotype. And yet on New Year's Eve with those fireworks, cause we, we were brought up watching Blue Peter where you would always step back six metres from a firework before watching it go off and they're incredibly dangerous. And, and mm. that these Swedes, it was sort of like being in a war zone really, wasn't it? 
It was an extraordinary thing to witness, yeah. They'd, they'd hit the window of the restaurant. Sometimes we'd be allowed up onto the roof of the restaurant and sometimes people would get hit by fireworks. Down below, you'd see people running into traffic as they ran away from, you <laughs> yes. know... <laughs> an errant Catherine wheel or whatever. Do you remember one year we asked a taxi driver about it? I think maybe the first yeah, year we gone. ever went there. And this taxi mm. driver, he said, so we, we were in um, Sluison last night for the fireworks. It's quite wild. And he says, yeah, well, in 1984, they had the World um, Fireworks Championships here in Stockholm and uh, people really got into it. And it's been getting ever more extreme since then. And I remember saying, but don't don't people die and he goes well yes of course <laughs> which yes of course like, don't be so stupid of course they do <laughs> of why course would you they ask do. such a thing I, know. I, know. <laughs> I do remember being in in Reykjavik in Iceland for um New Year's Eve one year and and if anything it was even wilder from that point of view you know if you can imagine it oh, but, really yeah 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 um the 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 other thing I remember being about being in that restaurant is that People didn't really count backwards from 10 at midnight. I remember no. maybe the first or second year we were there, we were waiting for it to turn midnight and wait, and, and saying to a waiter, saying, oh, do you, how, how will we know when it's midnight? Thinking they'd get everybody you know, counting and then do play Abba's Happy New Year really loud. And he just went, well, it's probably now. <laughs> probably now. Yeah, there was never one big moment. There was lots of sort of small moments whenever yeah. people fans, should we do it now? Let's do it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the, that quite yeah, strange. The, the firework madness was happening from about nine o'clock onwards, wasn't it? Um, mm. Mm. Anyway, those, those are uh, those are New Year's Eves we have known and loved. Oh, I was going to um, tell you a couple of other things. One, just on the subject of films, is we did a rewatch of Back to the Future at some point over the Christmas holidays. Which I love. Remember, we went to Secret Cinema and, and watched it a few years ago. Did you go to the Back to the Future one? Did you not come to that with me? No, I went with someone else, but I, I, re- I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I went. I went with someone who else. did I? Oh, I've just remembered who I went to that that with. It wasn't you. It was it was, um, it was someone else who lives in a similar box in my brain. Not really, Annabelle. Nobody lives <laughs> in a similar box in my brain to you. There's only you in that box all alone like a mime artist trying to get out. Um, but but anyway, so we rewatched Back to the Future um, and as we were watching it, I googled Christopher Lloyd who plays Doc Brown and I am the same age now as he was when he played Doc in Back to the Future. No, you can't be right because he was around about 80. No, no, he was my wow. age, 47. No, yeah. He was like the oldest person on television or on screen. Well, wow. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I guess they've made him up to look even older in the present day. Although when Marty goes back in time, part of the uh, joke is that he's barely changed. But even so, he has I did completely find... white hair. Yeah, I found yeah. it uh, I found it a, a little bit depressing. Um Ooh, I was saying to Sarah the other night. That. We were watching something the other day and they'd, they'd got a young actor made up to look like an old person. And I think that if you think about the the leaps forward in technology and in makeup and in uh, CGI and all that stuff that's happened in our lifetime, that's one thing they just haven't got better at. Oh, do you think? Do you think they've yeah. got even fractionally better? No, I think it's... A, the, I remember when I was a kid finding out that Granny in the Beverly Hillbillies was a, a younger actor made up so she looked older. 
And I don't think anybody looked any better or worse than Granny and Beverly yeah. Hillbillies. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, so there was that. And I was going to ask you, what, what did you get in the end for Christmas off Tom? What did I get? Oh, well, I, I, bought, I bought one of them myself. And the other one I asked for, that was a tofu press. And the third thing was, oh, I got a, like a, a, like a desk stool, a stool to sit at my desk with that, to keep my back straight. Lovely. You're at an age where you're getting orthopedically uh, useful exactly. presents. Well, that's that's nice. What about you? Did you get anything Sarah, nice? Yeah, I did. Sarah got me a book um, of photographs of bus stops in the former Soviet Union. Oh, that sounds amazing. It was great. So I think architects, town planners, they, they weren't allowed to be creative in the Soviet era. It was all centrally planned and they had to follow the templates and, and the plans that were issued centrally, except for bus stops. So there are all these incredibly weird, you know, um, beautiful, strange um bus stops throughout the former Soviet Union, which were all these local art- architects getting to express themselves in, a, in an individual way. And it's, it's fantastic. Oh, that sounds brilliant. What I love is that this podcast is, I think somewhere I can, I can open a microphone and say my wife got me a, a, a book of photographs of Soviet book, uh, bus stops for Christmas. And we all know that's a lovely present. Whereas... Perhaps if we'd said that on the radio, oh, uh, yeah. that, that yeah, wouldn't yeah. have been the reaction. Yeah, yeah. That's it's nice, nice, isn't it? Yeah. We found our people. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's um, let's let's delve into what the listeners have, have been sending in. Um. I'm curious to hear what's going on with the drifters. How is the inbox looking, Annabelle? Is it a, is it a trickle? Is it gushing? It's, what, a, what's... it's a trickle. It's a trickle. But the good news is to cheer us all up as we start 2021, which isn't proving to be the greatest year ever so far, I have an email from Lee of Murder Mystery and Fresh Smelling Lower Regions, Minor Fame, age 51, <laughs> soon to be 52, oh. with my first offering of 2021, he says. Fantastic. Star yes. correspondent. Yes, exactly. He writes, Late last year, I sat down to pen details of an epically horrific day of my yore that includes no less than six celebrities. But coincidentally, one of the celebrities recently died. And I feel because they come out of my story so appallingly, it seemed <laughs> inappropriate to share. However, being a tale that brushed an awkward shoulder with the rich and famous, I was reminded of an incident that took place many moons ago that involved myself and, at the time, one of the most famous people on the planet. Ooh. It was the summer of 1988, and I was working at the HMV Megastore on London's Oxford Street. The store was then officially listed in the Guinness Book of Records as the largest record shop in the world, and as a result was a hotspot for bands doing record signings and in-store promotions. Even if the act wasn't particularly big, big, I remember Five Star, Sam Fox, Brother Beyond, these events acted as a welcome relief for the hours stuck behind the till or putting out huge piles of records. 
One morning, we were all summoned into the office where it was disclosed in a tone that should really be reserved for the announcement of an impending war that the most important signing in the store's history was to take place that very day. The acting question's appearance was to be announced on London radio just 15 minutes before the scheduled arrival and it was vital this was not going to be a repeat of the disaster then famously referred to as Brosgate. <laughs> Regrettably, I had a day off when Bros came to sign records where thousands of crazed Brossettes went basically Lord of the Fly style feral, <laughs> overpowering the security staff and wrecking the entire ground floor of the store. We were told we had to be on our A game and it was solemnly relayed that this day we were going to be visited by none other than his Royal Purple Highness, Lord Love Sexy himself, Prince. Wow. It has to be said, this was at the very height of his success and it was a pretty big deal. In fact, one could say he was at the peak of his purple reign. (laughs) It was explained that he would discreetly arrive at the front of the store, by which I mean pull up outside the largest record shop in the world, on the busiest street in London, in peak shopping hours on a huge branded tour bus, do 30 minutes of signing, then exit via the back of the store where a limo would be waiting for him. Just to give a dull bit of geography of this area, at the rear of the store there was a staff-only door, which led to a corridor. But directly in front, as you went through this door, was an opening leading to the loading bay. No one used this as an entrance or exit. It was simply an opening. And as such, it had no steps, only a large concrete platform leading to it. I was given the smallest menial job. And in reflection, I'm sure jobs were assigned in order of levels of responsibility. (laughs) And as I didn't have an A game, in fact, I didn't possess any games, I basically had to point at the limo when Prince came through the door. I was essentially a human signpost to stop him taking the more obvious route of heading down the corridor and possibly finding himself spat out near a busy Oxford Street or getting lost and ending up in the staff canteen. Despite my diminutive job, I was delighted as I knew the area was so small I would have an albeit very brief intimate encounter with his regal purpleness. Later that day, as I waited in the hall, I suddenly heard general excited crowd noises and knew that signalled his arrival. Minutes later, the steel timber door of the loading bay opened and a blacked-out limo slowly cruised in. I knew I had roughly 30 minutes before my grand-pointing responsibility. (laughs) I credit myself with the next detail, but in reflection, I'm sure I would never be sensible enough to have thought of it. As mentioned, the step leading to the loading bay was very high, and Prince is famously, well, not so high. I set about finding something that could act as a step, should he need it, and soon found a large empty plastic milk crate. I flipped it upside down and smugly placed it at the foot of the platform. Time passed, and eventually I heard an accelerating level of crowd hysteria, and I realised this signified Prince was about to leave the building. I primed my finger. Moments later, the staff-only door flew open, And in a flash, a huge wardrobe-sized bodyguard leapt directly up the step towards the limo. Prince's then leggy backing singer cat effortlessly did the same. I saw immediately another minder was blocking the shop floor side of the staff door, which left me standing alone and centimetres away from the grand purple monarch Prince himself. (laughs) And he was every inch Prince, or not so many inches as it happened, wearing a white polka dot jumpsuit, Cleopatra eyeliner and reeking of lavender yip. I thought to myself, that is definitely Prince. (laughs) 
I was surprised at how pumped he was. He was all buzzing with adrenaline, but this seemed to deflate ever so slightly as he saw the large step facing him. I continued pointing at the limo and threw a fleeting microsecond glance at the milk crate. And in my head, Prince gave me a, I don't know who you are, kid, but you've got class sort of look. (laughs) It is at this point, it would be useful to point out a bit of fashion information. Possibly because of Prince's height, he favoured a Cuban-heeled footwear, which, if presented to a non-fashionista, could be simply described as high heel boots. Prince mounted my provided upturned milk crate to scale the step, and the slim heel of the said Cuban foot basically sunk, uh, and it became uh, immediately obvious it was stuck. Prince looked puzzled, and at first gave it an awkward, <laughs> sharp, single kick which proved unsuccessful. So he started a series of rhythmic little jerky kicks to free himself. But still, he remained at- attached to the crate. In every retelling of this incident, people always ask me, what did you do? I will tell you what I did. I employed my most dramatic use of the port protocol that I've ever called upon before or since. I did nothing. So shocked was I at this bizarre, intimate brush with a global musical icon. I just froze and watched. A tiny part of my paralysis was a sheer fascination in seeing this bonkers sight. But largely, all I could think of was that my contribution to Prince's exit had essentially trapped him. It was like I suggested a shortcut for Prince Charles to discreetly exit a park, only to get his big ear stuck in the park's railings. I have no idea how long I was standing there witnessing the snared superstar. It can't have been more than 15 seconds. But if someone had told me a new season had come and gone, I would have believed them. (laughs) Obviously, he eventually shook himself free, only to make a rather undignified scramble up the step. But not before witnessing my final pathetic flourish. As soon as he was free... I gave a glum, apologetic expression, teamed with a second offering of my withered finger in the direction of his car, (laughs) which was met with Prince throwing me a, I know where the bloody car is, you idiot, sort of look. The limo doors were soon slammed and the car disappeared into the London streets and he was gone. All was silent. You could have heard a dove cry. (laughs) I stood for a few moments, delighted that no one had witnessed the sorry incident. Or so I thought, as behind me was a work colleague who had seen the entire sorry display. My only saving grace was, in every attempt in her relay the story, she became so hysterical she couldn't get the words out. (laughs) As I now think of his royal purple highness, who has now stepped on the last and ultimate great milk crate upward, I say R.I.P. and Soz. Oh. A fine start to the year from the David Sedaris of Drifters. I mean, oh. That was just that was just magnificent. Uh, thank you, Leah. Can't wait until uh, um, there's a respectful distance between the death of Barbara Windsor. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just guessing. I've, I've, I've never heard anything about Barbara Windsor being difficult. I was just trying to think of somebody who had uh, who died recently. Um, Give it six months. Yeah, but you know, you can remember you can't libel the dead. No. But you shouldn't speak ill of them either. It's it's difficult, you know. The one group of people you can libel, you shouldn't speak speak ill of. Yeah. Um, anyway, as I say, there's to the best of my knowledge, no reason to speak ill of Barbara Windsor. I've only ever heard good things. Me too. Yeah. Um, but uh, but, but yeah, but I await 
whoever it is about. I, you know, let's wait the respectful amount of time and then yeah. I look forward to that one. Thank you, Lee. And if you have a, a story of um, just feeling so uncomfortable in your own skin uh, as, as Lee did there, as he watched Prince desperately trying to free his heel from a milk crate. It's, the fact that it's a milk crate is so I know, good. I know. Um, then uh, please, please share your story. I mean, obviously that's uh, that's some top-level stuff. Tiny moments in life not involving global superstars. Equally welcome. Uh, hello at adriftpodcast.com. Annabelle. Yes. Are you ready to give us your first uh, way in which you're not a fully functioning adult of 2021? Yes. So they say the hardest things about having children are the sleepless nights, the tantrums, the mess, the noise, the never having enough time to yourself, the guilt and the anxiety. I say these are not the hardest things. The hardest thing is when they're under four and you're suddenly interacting a lot more with other toddlers, mostly in playgrounds. And that split second where you got to say something like, watch out or mind or wait for that little. And you've got to decide whether it's a boy or a girl. Yes. Oh, from newborn until toddler, I find it incredibly hard to tell what gender a child is. So there's always this agonisingly long pause where I'm trying to decide whether to say boy or girl and I'm assessing their hair, their clothes, their face. And then I just end up saying little child or the, my worst whatever was little person. And I got bad advice from the mum in earshot that time. But there should be a better gender neutral word for children under three. Like nothing you, feels right. Kid, you're not happy with kid? Little kid. I suppose I never thought to say kid. Yeah, I said that's the one I go for. Do you? I just don't. Yeah. I don't feel that feels weird coming out of my mouth. That little kid. Mm. I'm going to start trying it. Maybe that. Maybe this is the answer. Because I just feel that child is okay, but it's also me saying, and this is with kid as well. I can't tell if your child is a boy or a girl, which shouldn't matter, <laughs> but it does seem to matter to some people. Like I have considered calling every toddler and baby little girl because around 50% of the time I'd be getting it right. And if it's actually a boy and you're corrected, you could say, oh, so I've got such a pretty face. I'm so sorry. Right. But of course, I couldn't ever say that. So I'm still doing this embarrassingly long pause between little and child. Do you think it's OK to correct someone? If they get no, it wrong. absolutely not. I don't, I don't think it matters. Me too. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But have you been corrected before? I don't know if I've been corrected, but I've certainly had the glare. I, I have definitely been corrected before when yeah. like, they'll say something like, yes, she is, isn't she? Or yes, come on. Mm. And they'll say her like a, a Mary or a very girly name. I just think name. people do it about their dog. What, what <gasps> hope have you got when it's oh. their kid? That is exactly it. Like, I've, I've, I feel weird, like I'm sort of studying to see whether a dog's got a penis or not. Like, that's why I know what to say. And that just feels really wrong. I'm like looking between their legs, thinking, is it a boy or a girl? What do I say? Because you, you want to say him or her. And, oh, it's so hard. Like, Rudy has got, as she's had it cut now, but he did until very recently have longish hair because he hates the hairdressers. And he gets called a girl sometimes. I have never once corrected and in fact, there's been times when the conversation has gone on longer than expected. And I've even started saying she and her about my son. Because I don't want them to know they've got it wrong in case they feel bad. It doesn't matter to me in the slightest. 
But yeah, I have been corrected though. I think quite a few times and very occasionally a little tersely. Mm. And it's almost enough to make the liberal me who is trying to raise my son in a fairly gender neutral way to make it law well, all boys. (coughs) Sorry, I sneeze. Where all boys, yeah, where all boys wear blue. And all girls wear pink. And then maybe like all dogs have to wear like a pink bow. <laughs> it's, it's too much. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you made any resolutions? Um, no, not not. I made some sort of plans for the year, but I haven't written them down. I just sort of thought them idly in my head, and then so I'd say strictly no. I haven't. Have you? Mm, I made a resolution to spend less time with my family, but now <laughs> lockdown with that. has uh, come along. It's, it's really difficult. Mm. Also, I've, I thought, thought so I want to get back on social media, more time on social media. Oh, that sounds like that's a really good, healthy one. Oh, Great. God. I am. I've been sucked back in. I never went away from Instagram, but I never, I, I almost never post anything on it. And then I deleted Facebook some time ago and reinstalled it at some point over the holidays. And, and now I'm back on Twitter as well. Did you find it helpful to not be on Twitter? Like, how did you? Well, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Why did you come back? uh, Why did I come back? I I wanted to put something on Twitter for some something or other at at some point in December, and then I kept checking it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. drew you back in again. I got got sucked. Mm. I got sucked back into it. Um, I think also because I was doing a bit of work in December just having a sense of what's going on in the world as it's uh, unfolding is good because I was doing some work for BBC Radio 5 Live. Yeah. So I, I was doing it last week and something awful happened. What? What happened? I was covering the the late evening show, which starts at half past 10, coming on after the football commentary. Um, and, and, yeah, a terrible thing happened to me. I looked at the TV screen and there were protesters storming the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. That happened while you were on air. Well, it happened while I was getting ready to go on air. So then oh, they wow. buzz in my ear and say, can you come on at half time in the football and uh, you know talk to a correspondent about what's going on? And then I was supposed to be doing a, a show which uh, it had a bit of news in it, but mainly like one of the big things we we're going to be talking about was how uh, children's TV in Denmark have introduced a new cartoon <laughs> with a character with an enormous penis. So I was going yeah. to be doing an interview about that. It's going to be talking a bit about Neil Young and his back catalogue. And we just had to drop everything and go to rolling coverage of what was happening in Washington, D.C. And I'm just there thinking, firstly, I'm so impressed with the machine that is, you know, the the BBC's production, news production, and those teams who work on Radio 5 Live who are able 
to, at no notice, change the type of show that it was supposed to be into rolling coverage. And there was never five minutes. You know, I'm ne- I don't know what's happening next, but I always know that they're lining up somebody for me to talk to, be it... Um, you know, one of the Congress uh, people in Congress, one of the representatives who was in the building, be it a correspondent, be it some expert at a university on American politics. So it's amazing that they're able to just rip up a show and have that going at no notice and be booking guests as it's going out live on air. So that's the first thing. And then the next thing I'm thinking is, why me though? Like nobody's turning on the radio wanting to hear me at a moment like this. Feels it felt briefly like is this, is this the end of Western civilization? Very dramatic now, but as you saw those pictures, it was awful. I was thinking nobody wants to hear me telling them that democracy is unraveling in the world's largest economy. I'm <laughs> I'm not the person to be. Del- you want somebody making uh, doing a puerile interview about a cartoon character with an enormous penis? I, I'd like to think I'm exactly the sort of person you'd want. But not not that. You want Trevor McDonald, someone like that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, some, someone with some gravitas. Mm. I don't know what the opposite of gravitas is, but that's what I have. <laughs> the same thing happened to me just before Christmas. I was, sp- was covering the afternoon show and it was supposed to be uh, a light-hearted look at what the greatest TV uh, Christmas-themed episodes of TV shows are. And then the bloody Brexit deal kept getting pushed back and I had to break the news of that and go to the press conference and then have correspondence and things on afterwards. I'm very unlucky. <laughs> it's all about you and you're very unlucky. You're, you're the real victim in all these things. I don't know why it's not talked about more. What's funny is I think there is a type of broadcaster who to be on air on a day like that as something like that is unfolding just feels like why they are in that career. Whereas for me to be on the air when I get to talked to a Scandinavian about um, genitals in cartoons. That feels like the reason I, I got into the business in the first place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, so um, so that was that. Are you watching Masked Singer? No, are you? Yeah. I'm watching The Voice and I've got a rule that you can only have one of those on the go at a time. So mm. I've, I've chosen The Voice. I'd rather. I think I'd rather Masked Singer. I've sort of fell out of love with most of those shows, but mm. I, d- I don't even know if I enjoy it. But um, I'm in now. Okay, it's too late now. You got yeah. in. Okay. I think there's a flaw in the format in that you spend weeks trying to guess who these people are. So it's one of these singing competitions, but they have very elaborate masks, almost like mascot style masks, but better on. Uh, and they give they disguise their speaking voices. It's only when you sing they sing that you hear their real voice, and the whole thing is to try and work out who's under the mask. But given that it's on ITV, I, I, even though the people who they've unmasked so far are always all people I'd recognise, mm. I just think it's an inevitability that it's going to get to a point where they're taking the masks off, and I've never heard of them. A bit like through the keyhole when you're thinking, I don't know whose house that yeah, is because yeah. I don't know whose house that yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I look at things like I'm a Celebrity, which is their flagship show that they do every year. Mm. And I know roughly a third of the people who are the contestants in any given year. Mm. And this is where they're throwing their, their big money to get their, their big audiences. And it's, you know, I, I just think it's inevitable that there's going to be somebody off Hollyoaks or a, a footballer or, or whatever. And mm. then it then I think, why have I invested all this time in trying to <laughs> guess who it is? Yeah, that'd be a bit of an anticlimax for you. I think the badger is Chris Moyles, though. Okay. 
Mm. Any other guesses you want to no, that's, give to that's anyone? The, that's, that's the one. They haven't said that on the TV yet, but he, he said something about, um, you know, I've had stages in my career where I could go out and not be recognised at all. And I thought, well, that's somebody off radio. And then I was just trying to think who's a radio person who they put on ITV primetime. And um, I thought it might be him because he was in Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, so he can a few sing. years ago, so he must okay. be able to sing. I, yeah. I don't know. It seems like a good anyway, guess. That. Are you watching anything else good? Uh, the Serpent. I thought that was amazing. What is that? That's a what BBC One thing um, about a serial killer. True story. Uh, and he was like a, a, a backpacker killer. They, call, they called him the bikini killer because he targeted a lot of black backpackers. Mm. It's very, very good. I absolutely, Apparently there's a few dodgy accents in it but i wouldn't notice things like that and i thought i absolutely loved it i thought it was brilliant is it gruesome yes it can be it's i tell you what it's not so gruesome but i think it's one of the most disturbing things i've ever seen and one particular episode i definitely have never ever been so tense throughout an episode and that by the time it finished my stomach was just like in terrible knots because i was so anxious about a particular scenario Oh, yeah. I'm intrigued, but I don't know if I can put... I'm, I'm, I'm quite in the frame of mind to put myself through that at the minute, but maybe. It's very we, dark. We just watched, I think it's about a year old, The Righteous Gemstones. Oh, yeah. What's that? It is a American... I want to say it's, it's, it's definitely a drama in that it's got a twisty-turny plot and... Um, it's sort of exciting to watch, but it's it's very comic as well. It, um, it's it's so so maybe you class it as a comedy, and it's about a family of famous evangelists. So it's almost like Succession, but instead of it being a media family, they're an evangelical family who run big oh, okay. churches. That's interesting. Um, and the the patriarch, although it's very much a supporting role, is John Goodman. Okay. Um, is he with us? Uh, yeah, he's he's still with us. Yeah, he's not he's, he's not not shuffled off yet. Um, and the creator and and one of the stars is this guy Danny McBride, who I'm really interested in having watched this show and enjoyed it so much. We watched the whole series in the space space of a weekend, and I thought it was great. It really made me laugh and had me hooked. And he's the guy who created Eastbound and Down and starred in that, which I never watched, but I remember some people raving about it at the time, and I was maybe didn't fancy it because it was set, it was about a former athlete and I thought oh, I won't like that I also had it in my head as well that maybe it was you know a bit of a bro show if you know what I mean okay but I, I loved The Righteous Gemstones so much and found it so funny and so watchable it's made me think that maybe I should go back and investigate that you never watched it did you no no I've never heard of it what's The Righteous Gemstones on uh, uh, so it's an HBO show. So I think it's on Sky over here. Okay. You get it, get it on your Sky box. You still have Sky, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. That that'll do that. I'll tell you what else we watched an episode of last night that I thought was just fantastic. Uh, it's called Pretend It's a City. And do you know who Fran Lebowitz is? I know the name. What, she's an American writer, although I think she's not written much in years and a humorist. She's a very distinct character, and she is. You know, like a stick of Blackpool rock, if you were to cut her in half, it'd say New York through the middle. She's very, very New York-y. And Martin Scorsese has made a series for Netflix, which is just her talking, really. He's made it look visually 
brilliant but it's her talking about her life and the city and it's one of the most watchable things i've seen in ages the episodes are about half an hour long and it's so funny and and brilliant and she's so unique and such a great observer of life and of people and of the city and she's so acerbic and and withering and you know just feels so quintessentially new york you just watch it and think oh why can't I, why can't I just live in new york it's 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 brilliant it's so good sarah got terribly homesick for new york watching oh. it um but I think that's really good. If the first episode is anything to go by, it's it's absolutely brilliant. So there we go. There's a there's a couple of recommendations for you. Wondery corner. What do you think of the new jingle for 2021? You do it again? No. Oh, I was just going to record it and, yeah. <laughs> and then like. <laughs> put some uh, things on it and put it out no um it's brilliant and oh, we need some more of these quandaries hello com. we're a bit short as we said uh, the last time around that we got ourselves into this situation we think that lockdown maybe means that people don't have social uh, etiquette well yes. dilemmas anymore although i do have a lockdown one this week i've got have got two so there is one great so if you have got one then yeah do get in contact hello at driftpodcast.com yeah yeah and if it you know we will we, we'll, we'll uh, we can encompass zooms and email etiquette and all that kind of stuff as well right well i've got a zoom one so oh great yeah, let's, let's, let's hear it let's and, but hear the, it. Fir- the first one is from amanda and it is a pre-lockdown quandary but okay. she says it is one though that i think about often so it would be great to know if I did the right thing one of my close friends had just broken up with her boyfriend and so I invited her around to dinner to cheer her up and give her a chance to talk properly because I knew she was so sad I made quite a lot of effort with the food Jeff I think you'll approve of this it was a paneer curry with rice and a side of dal I knew she'd like it but it's also one of my big favorites so I was really looking forward to eating it when my friend arrived I opened a bottle of wine and we got talking She seemed to be coping okay, so I cooked the rice, warmed up the rest of it, and we sat down to eat. Now, I'm not sure if it was the amount of wine she'd had by now, or maybe the food had somehow triggered memories of her ex, but as soon as we'd eaten just one or two mouthfuls, she started crying. Not full-blown hysteria, but little (laughs) sobs while still talking. Oh, no. So I let her speak and cry, and I felt obviously tremendously sympathetic. But also, I'm slightly ashamed to admit, very hungry and increasingly desperate for my curry. If I do say so myself, it was rather delicious, but getting colder by the minute. Which brings me to my question. Is it okay to eat while someone is crying? (laughs) I'll tell you what I did. I waited as long as I could in the hope that she would stop. Then, when she didn't, every now and then I took a few very discreet mouthfuls. Was that okay? What should I do if it ever happens again? I think you did what any sane person would do in a similar situation. I'd like to be able to think that I'd I'd say, you have the fullest of my attention. I am (laughs) listening to your every word and considering uh, your emotional needs and what's going on. Also, I'm very hungry. I'm going to carry on eating, but that doesn't mean that you have anything less than my fullest attention. But of course, no. I'd never be able to say that. So Im- impossible to say yeah, that. Yeah, I think you. I think you did the right thing. I think your only options are to do what you did. A few very discreet mouthfuls. Even even that, I think, is difficult. But we just have to let it get cold, and then and then when when you feel like there's, like there's been a 
a turning point. You could say, shall I, shall I heat this up for us and then start oh. all over again? But that is tough. That's so awful, all that preparation, oh. the anticipation. But I do think if we want a very simple answer to the question of, is it okay to eat, eat while someone's crying? The answer is no. Mm. It's not okay. Yeah, you're right, you're right, it's you're not, right. It's not, it's not. Sad, very so, sadly, it's not. I'm so disappointed to, I know. to hear that. <laughs> okay. I hope I never find myself in that situation. <laughs> Linda says... Now that we only socialise over Zoom or Skype or FaceTime, I would like to know, do the same rules of punctuality apply? I would aim to arrive exactly on time if I was meeting someone outside, like at, for example, a train station. If I was meeting them inside, like a bar, I'd feel okay being 10 or so minutes late. But if somebody is just at home anyway and could be doing anything they want while waiting, would it be okay to push it a bit further, say 15 to 20 minutes or longer? Obviously, I wouldn't do this in a work scenario. But if it's a group quiz or just meeting a friend for a chat, are the punctuality rules any different for Zoom? I just think sort your life out and and get somewhere on time. It's not that (laughs) difficult. (laughs) Like what are you? What are you? The president? What are you doing? That's so important. <laughs> Some people find it difficult to organise so their time in that way. And grow up. Grow up. Really? That's so harsh. <laughs> no, I've got a real bee in my bonnet about it, as you know. Yeah. I just think I get to places obsessively early because I think if you don't, then basically what you're saying is. My time is more valuable than your time. What's the line? The line of this is okay and you're a person who thinks my time is more valuable than your time. What's the line? Well, I think you 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 were always within that line, actually. I, that's the only reason I asked the question. <laughs> you're somebody who is generally a little bit late. Ten but minutes. It, it, but it never feels like you're that person. I don't think anybody is saying about you behind your back like... Uh, some mutual friends of ours that it drives them insane that Annabelle's you know you're always between five and ten minutes late and I don't hold it against you so I think that's the that that's that's the window isn't it yeah I also think I also think notice is a big factor generally speaking if you're gonna be late you you know probably like an hour beforehand usually unless you're stuck in some traffic or something weird has happened if yeah, if the yeah. lateness is just you not being able to pull it together you, you you can see how your day is running away from you an hour beforehand let somebody know then it's it's letting somebody know you're going to be late at the time you're due to be meeting them mm-hmm. is one of the things that drives drives me insane and you're saying that there is no leeway when people are just at home anyway. You can't push it a little. I just think it's the same thing. Same. You think exactly just, okay? Okay. Well, I just think be realistic. Be realistic. Mm. If if you're bad with your time, be a realistic about when you say you can meet somebody. Like, okay. I, if I'm, I'm not saying you're a bad person for being bad bad with your time. That's fine. Mm. You know, we, we've all got brains that are wired in different ways, and you know, organization and stuff comes easy. I'm not an organized person, but just organizing your time comes more easily to some people than it 
does to others. But don't be that person who's running consistently late and thinking the world should revolve around you. Okay. Where's all this confidence coming from? Why, why aren't you just worrying about what other people are saying about you and thinking about you? That's not the drift away. You should be obsessing about what, how the other person is feeling. Linda's just asking the question. Like, can she push it? I'm just answering the question. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Poor Linda. So, the, but I feel like that is very categorically answered. It's, you have to be on time in every situation. And if you're not going to be on time... Let people know with with plenty of notice so that they haven't planned their day to stop what they're doing at the time that you've said you'll arrive. Because, you you know, you're projecting what life at home looks like for you. Some people like a bit of structure and like to just a sense of how their day is carved up. You don't know what people are are doing, Linda. Mm, Yeah, okay. I feel you're on Team Linda rather no, than Team Jeff here. I, I'm on your side, but I probably maybe don't feel it, it quite as strongly. But I'm I'm on your side. Okay, but now I feel I do, I do feel I went a bit hard at Linda there. No, but I feel it's okay because Linda was just was asking the question, so she she wasn't saying I'm always really late for all these things. She was saying I think ten minutes late is okay because I'm often ten minutes late, and she's always. just saying could no, you're not you're not always <laughs> could could I push it a bit further because they're just at home anyway? No, 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 no. no, no, no the no, answer no. is no. Yeah, okay. it's not up to you what somebody else does with their time. Great. Well, um, we okay. got that answered. I'm very okay. happy. Great. Sorry, I do. I feel I went a bit. I feel I got a bit aggressive there. No, no, no. You had a strong opinion that you were allowed to have a strong opinion. It's fine. It's a real trigger. Punctuality is a real trigger for me. Okay. You I'll know, remember because, that in case I start going late in my older age. No, I think like some of us, you know, I, I, I in in the past have been felt shackled to other people's lack of punctuality. If you see right. what I mean, yeah. and uh, I, th- I think I still carry some baggage. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that was our podcast. Uh, what about that then, Annabelle? What about it? What about yeah. it? We're what back. About it? We're back. You were worried about us not having enough to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think that was justified because, you know, I think uh, it was it was thin gruel, but there was plenty of it, as it turned yeah. out. Yeah. So, um, thank you for listening. We would like uh, a, a, a slightly more forceful trickle, maybe a gush of email into our inbox so if you've got a story uh, about your own social ineptitude or um, you know just feeling terribly terribly awkward and embarrassed do share it with us it's hello at adriftpodcast.com and the same goes for quandaries for quandary corner although maybe people will be terrified to email in after I just (laughs) savage Linda like I did Um, but please hello at adriftpodcast.com thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music to Emily Harrison for the incidental music uh, to Kim Rainey the artwork and to Carla Gowlett for those lovely photos of us looking younger than you look the same Annabelle but I'm I'm ageing horribly since that photo session and I just want to finish this week by saying listen you have the fullest of my attention I am going to carry on eating but I am completely emotionally invested in in what you're saying and very very attentive
Podication time. This comes from Jared Miller, who says, Howdy, Jeff and Annabelle. Howdy. Howdy. This is Jared from Anaheim. It's been quite some... Jared from Anaheim. There's a name. Uh, we've, we've, uh, well, actually, Jared says, It's been quite some time since I've written in to request a podication. Great to know you're still with us, Jared. Uh, he says, I'm asking for a podication for my amazing wife, Trish. She was recently diagnosed with a uterine sarcoma. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, Me guys. Um, thankfully, he adds, it's stage two, and they're confident they removed all the visible parts of the tumour. She'll be starting chemotherapy possibly as soon as the 28th of December or the beginning of January. She's been through a lot this year. I want her to know that she is strong and mighty. I know she will fight this and win. I also want her to know that I love her. And I will be by her side through it all. If I could take the medicine for her and cure her through the osmosis of cuddles, I would do it in a heartbeat. That's such a uh, that's such a lovely expression yeah. of that thing, uh, Jared. And um, God, that's uh, that, that's rough, Trish. I'm I'm really sorry to hear you've had that news, and you know. I hope better news is on its way soon and this treatment just does the trick and um yeah awful start to the year but i hope you know things are a lot better as as the year as the months and year progresses Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.